in our church. Uh, the Advent season um, is what we are um, celebrating. It's what we are remembering today. And so this Advent season is the Christmas time. We know that um, every single year uh, we celebrate at this time of year. The, the coming of our Lord and Savior, the birth of our Lord, the one who has given us mercy, the one who has given us grace. And so I'm thankful um, that I could be here with you this morning to kick things off for the Advent season. So we this morning are shifting away from Acts due to the fact that we are in the Advent season. And so we will be in the book of Luke this morning. So if you would, please stand with me as we honor God's word. will be in the very first chapter of Luke, the New Testament. Third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. I don't know the page number, sorry. I don't have it before me right now. We're in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. It will be on the screen to my left and right. Please follow along with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born to be born will be called. Holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade. You may be seated. As I said earlier, we are in the Advent season. And if you are a Christian today, if you celebrate the Advent, the Christmas season, for the right reasons, not for the commercial, not for the material things that our world has made it out to be, our culture has made it out to be about Santa Claus and elves, that's not why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because of the coming of the Son of God, the birth of a Savior. That's why we as believers celebrate Christmas. And if you are a believer here today, and if you celebrate Christmas in the Advent season for the right reasons, then there's a tension that comes with the Advent season. There's a tension. See, on one hand, the Advent season is a celebration, celebrating the arrival of the Son of God. We celebrate. It's a joyous occasion. We remember what God has done for us, that the Father sent the Son to us to save us. We remember that. And so we should be grateful and thankful during this season. During the Advent season, we should be filled with gratitude for what God has done for us. So that's on one hand during the Advent season. But on the other hand, this Advent season brings about a waiting. We're waiting. It brings about a longing. It brings about an anticipation, knowing that the Lord has come. His first Advent has taken place, but we're still waiting on the second coming. 
So there's two hands, two sides of the same coin to this. One hand we're remembering is joyous, we're celebrating. On the other hand, we're longing for the day that we will see our Lord face to face. We are awaiting the day that we won't have to deal with the pain and the suffering in this life anymore. And we'll fully be with our creator. We'll fully be with our savior. We're longing for that. So there's a tension between the two in this season. So I want you all to keep that in mind. I'm going to come back to that later. But keep in mind the tension of the season. Keep in mind the tension of this season. So as we go back to the text this morning, in Luke chapter 1, I'm going to look at a few things and bring it out. I know we read a lot of verses this morning, read about 30 verses in the text, so we're not going to go through every single one of them. But we're going to revisit a couple of things to bring this out during this season. So in verse 26, it said, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth important place to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her so this angel Gabriel he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. In this greeting from Gabriel, as he appeared to this lowly, humble young lady, Mary is greeted with the reminder or with, I guess, the new news, the good news that she has received favor from God, that she is favored of God. So why Mary? Why Mary? Why did she receive this this favor from God? What was it about Mary? What did she do to cause God to move to choose her? To be the favored one to carry the son of God. What was it about Mary? What did she do? Did she do anything? Was it her her obedience? Was it her uprightness? Was it her stature before others? What was it? What was it about Mary that caused God to choose her? Is that the right question? You see, Mary was from Nazareth a small Jewish town at that time considered to be very insignificant, small. Um, A lot of theologians say 
maybe 200 to 400 people lived in the town of Nazareth. It was not a significant place to the Jews. The Jews did not hold it in high regard. Many Jews had low expectations for the city of Nazareth and anything that could come from the city of Nazareth. Held it in low esteem. We see that in John, the book of John, chapter 1. In John chapter 1, this is fast-forwarding chronologically. In John, and at this time in, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is an adult. He's starting his earthly ministry, and he's calling his disciples. But we get some insight into the Jewish thoughts about Nazareth as he calls his disciples. He calls Philip. And then in John chapter 1, verse 46, Philip tells um, Nathaniel about this Jesus that has come. And Nathaniel has a question about this Jesus that Philip is telling him about. Nathaniel says this to Philip. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Giving you an insight to the thought, the Jewish mind of, of what they believed about Nazareth. Nathaniel, a Galilean, says, can anything good come out of this small town of Nazareth? This insignificant place that nobody really knows about. It's not really talked about in the Old Testament scriptures. So this insignificant place of Nazareth, Nathaniel's like, what's the big deal? Can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But that's where Mary is from, from Nazareth. Mary was also um, a very young girl. Most theologians say she was in her teenage years at this time. She was a young girl. In this culture, in this day and age, um, for young girls and women um, in the culture, they didn't have much. They were very vulnerable. They were very dependent upon the men in their lives, their fathers, their husbands. They didn't have careers. They didn't have the things that we see now in our current contemporary day and age. So they were very, very dependent. See, Mary was circumstantially, she was humble, didn't have much, didn't have much to offer. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So once again, what is it about Mary? Was it anything about Mary that caused God to choose her? We know she was a virgin. That was important due to the prophecies, the prophecies of the Savior that would come, the Messiah that would come, that would be born to a virgin. You see that in Isaiah. That is an important thing, that she was a virgin, but she wasn't the only virgin. There were many more virgin girls. So why Mary? Was it anything about Mary? I would say no. 
an emphatic no. And I know that in our culture, in the Catholic Church in particular, very high regard for Mary. And I'm not diminishing that in any way by saying no. It wasn't anything about Mary that caused God to choose her. Because for Gabriel to say that she has found favor with God, that was to say that she had been endowed with grace. 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 The grace of God was the reason that God chose Mary. Wasn't anything in Mary, per se. I'm sure she was a godly young woman. That matters. But it was grace, the grace of God, the statement that Gabriel made to be finding favor with God that meant she had been endowed with grace. And what is grace? What is grace? Undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. God has favor on Mary, not because of who she was, not because of what she could bring to the table, but ultimately because of who he was. So the better question is, what is it about God? Not about Mary, but what is it about God that he chose her? We know God is good. God is good. He's merciful. He's always faithful to his promises. See, the promise had already been made. The Messiah was coming. Did they know when? No. Do we know when he's coming again? No. But the promise was made that the Messiah was coming. And God is always faithful to his promise. See, this is what's about God. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He's holy. None like him. He's set apart. He is different from you and I. We have to understand the holiness of God. He is different from us. He is above us. We are sinners. We are needy. God doesn't need anything. God rules and reigns, and he does what he pleases. He chooses whom he wants to choose. He's different from us. And see, his kingdom is upside down in comparison to this world. Kingdom upside down. See, we and many Jews, I'll just say this, the Jews of their day, as they were looking for the Savior, they were looking for the Messiah. They thought that he was going to come in and take over, ruling and reigning, throwing down all of their enemies, getting rid of the Romans, 
They were looking for a mighty conquering king to establish them as a nation, as a people group that were above other people groups. He was looking, the Jews were looking for that. See, someone like Solomon would kind of fit the description (laughs) of what the Jews probably would have wanted the Messiah to look like. See, the prophecy was that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And who better than a direct descendant of David than Solomon? Known as a man to be the richest to ever live, known as a man to be the wisest to ever live, why not him? Why wouldn't he be the savior? Why wouldn't he fit the description of the savior from that line of David? Why not someone that would come and bring this military might and authority to overthrow all of the enemies of the Jews? I know that's what they were looking for. The scriptures remind us that that's what they were looking for in their Messiah, in their savior. But that's not how God chose to come. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. See, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. See, the wise would have thought someone with the stature of Solomon, someone similar to him, would be appropriate to be that Messiah. But what God chose was what was foolish in the world. He chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human might boast in the presence of God. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. God has a different way of doing things than we. We look at the stature. We look at the power. We look at the ability from the outside, from the external. God doesn't see it that way. God sees the heart. God sees what's on the inside. And to show his might and to show his power, he chooses what is low. He chooses what is despised. He chooses the insignificant, like a place like Nazareth. He chooses that to show his might and his power so that he gets the glory and honor that he deserves. See, if a Jew could have chosen where and who Jesus would have been born to, wouldn't have been to Mary, wouldn't have been to Joseph. They're too lowly. If a Jew could have chosen where Jesus would have been born, wouldn't have been in a manger, would have been in a palace. Humans, the way we think, Messiah has to be born in a palace to royalty. It's not God. He would have been born in Jerusalem, not Nazareth. 
See, Nazareth, as I said, represented the insignificance, the low, the despised. Reminds me of a place like Fairfield. Nobody sees anything good coming out of Fairfield. Right? All the news reports, all the articles, always something negative, another murder, bankruptcy in the city. City council can't get along, fighting all the time. The, the, the news cameras are always here for that. <laughs> A place like Fairfield would have been like Nazareth. Or I even think about Slap Out. Our brother Chad, our pastor Chad, he, he talks about his hometown. If you ever talked about, if you've ever heard Pastor Chad talk about his hometown of Slap Out, Alabama, he talks about that one caution light town. Very, very small town. The big city was Montgomery. Places like that, insignificant places where God gets his most glory. So we see this, this exclamation, this good news from Gabriel to Mary that she has found favor with God, not because of who she is, but because of who he is. And look at her response. Her response is, behold, verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She receives the promise of God with simple faith. She receives it. This is beyond belief. What this angel appeared, the fact that an angel appeared in the first place, what a sight that is, how amazing that is. And then he gives this message, this good news that she as a virgin would have a son, knowing no man. A son will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. How believable is that? But Mary believed. She believed. She responded with simple faith and trust. And not just Gabriel's words, but the Lord's words. See, Gabriel was a messenger. Yes, as grand as it probably would have been. Every time the angels appear, they have to say, don't be afraid. It's a big deal if an angel appears before you. I don't know if you've ever seen an angel, if I've ever seen an angel. If, you know, sometimes we may think that the angels may be in disguise all around us. Who knows? I don't know. But she knew. <laughs> she saw this angel. But it wasn't the angel that she was focused on. It was his message. It was a message of good news that she would conceive a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she trusted. She trusted. With simple faith, deep faith. And this is brought out even more as we journey further through the text because after this encounter with the angel Gabriel, 
Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. The angel in his message to her, the angel Gabriel, told her that her cousin Elizabeth at her old age was six months pregnant. Past childbearing years and known to be barren. But she was pregnant. So what does Mary do? She responds to that. She believes it and she goes to see. She goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And I want you to hear what Elizabeth says to Mary. I mean, after Mary arrives and she speaks, the baby in the womb, John the Baptist, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy in the womb. How fresh is a sight that is. In our day and age, in our contemporary culture, when one of the hot topics is whether or not a baby in the womb is actually a baby, where it's just fetal tissue, we see that that baby is a person in and of itself. Two people, a mother and a child. We see that. Don't let the culture sway you any other way. This baby in the womb leaps for joy. It's a beautiful thing. Y'all know I'm, most of y'all know I'm expecting. Well, I'm not expecting. My wife, we are expecting, right? My wife is expecting, and we are both anticipating, right, the arrival. And to see my wife's face light up when the baby kicks and she feels it moving. And that's a great feeling. That's an amazing thing. But Mary visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth has a message for her as well. Just as Gabriel had a message for Mary, Elizabeth does. Listen to Elizabeth's message to Mary. Verse 45. Blessed, no, excuse me, verse 42. She exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her, not from Gabriel, but from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. See, Mary believed that deep inside of her heart and soul. Deep inside. It wasn't simply a mental assent. It was beyond the mental 
It was deep down in her soul, in her heart, she believed. Not just merely a mental assent, but a deep-rooted belief in her heart. So much so that when she hears this from Elizabeth, look at Mary's response. Just as she faithfully responded to Gabriel in his message, she says this in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy in his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary has a lot to say. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary responds with deep seated praise. Praise is her response. A song of praise is her response. There was worship that welled up in her. It welled up from within and overflowed into this song of praise and worship. It's like a pot on a stove. A pot on a stove filled with water and it's boiling and there's a lid on it. And it continues to get hotter and hotter and hotter to it overflows. It can't be contained. This is the type of praise. This is the type of worship that Mary gave to her God. A worship from deep within. See, she didn't need a worship leader. She didn't need a worship leader to galvanize her. Come on, y'all sing. Come on, clap your hands. Is God good? Give him praise. We need that. Mary didn't need that. It was from deep within. She believed. It overflowed. The praises overflowed, and she sang a new song. I don't know about y'all, but I've experienced that. When nobody was watching. When I wasn't in a crowd where I'm trying to. Okay, let me look holy, raise my hand, let me clap. Other people seeing me. But when I was in my lowest of lows, my lowest of lows, and I realized that though I was in the fire, my God was there with me. He saw me in my humble estate, my low circumstances, and he was there with me. I've had those moments. Praise. No one else is around me. I'm at home by myself. Tears flowing down my eyes as I praise God. I don't need somebody to galvanize me, to get me to worship and sing. What God has done for me, he's the one that gets me to worship and sing before him. 
want to contrast this with Zechariah. So we haven't gotten into this, and I don't want to take the steal the thunder from next week because we're going to talk about Zechariah a little bit more next week in the sermon. But before Gabriel visited Mary in this text and earlier in Luke, before he visited Mary, he visited Zechariah. And he came with a similar message, a message of good news about the promise of a son that was going to be born. Zechariah heard this message from the angel, Gabriel. And instead of responding as Mary did, with faith, with praise, with belief, Zechariah responded with doubt. And because of his doubt, Zechariah's mouth shut, mute, silent. Mary was able to sing with joy. Zechariah, close your mouth. You don't believe. You doubt. What do we do with the good news of the gospel? What do we do with the good news of this Christmas story? Do we believe? Does it cause us to sing praise? Do we doubt? And it's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus ascended. Is he coming back? Is the second coming real? Was the first coming real? We weren't there. How do we respond? Do we doubt? Do we believe? If you believe, not because of you, not because you're smart. Because of the grace of God. I want to end with this. As I opened about the Advent season and tension, now remember the tension talked about in this season. I had a similar situation personally um, this past week, this past weekend, really. Because Thursday was my birthday. Thank you. Thank you. So birthdays are a cause for celebration, right? A cause for thankfulness, right? God's allowed you to see another year. A cause to remember all of the things that God has done for you throughout that year, right? And looking forward to and anticipating a new year, another year of God's grace. It causes us, birthdays cause us to celebrate. They should. They're celebration worthy. But the very next day, it's my brother's birthday. Say his birthday. Would have been his 30th. So, reflecting on that, dealing with the grief of that, I was conflicted. I had tension. One day's my birthday, the next day was my brother's and he wasn't here anymore. It was supposed to be, like I said, his 30th birthday. Wanted to celebrate with him. Wanted to do something big with him for his 30th birthday. Yet we didn't see 30 years on this earth. But as I reflected upon that, as I grieved that, I also was reminded of the grace of God in my brother's life. That just like he visited Mary. He visited my brother. And my brother's response to his grace was belief. I'm thankful that God chose, not because of who my brother was, 
not because of anything in him. I'm thankful that God chose my brother because of who he is, because he's good, because he's holy and he's righteous. He chose to open my brother's eyes to the marvelous light of the gospel. And because of that, as I said, the anticipation, the tension of remembering, but also looking forward. I anticipate because he's done the same thing in my life. He's chose to open my eyes, not because of me, but by his grace. He chose to open my eyes. He chose to open my brother's eyes. And so there's hope. I have hope. I do anticipate the second coming of Christ. Because first and foremost, and above all, I'll see my creator. I'll see my God. I'll see my savior. But I'll also see my brother again. I look forward to that day. See, the hope of the resurrection is what leads us to this table. This table, a reminder of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. This baby that was born, this baby that was promised to Mary. Because of what he has done, we have hope. We have hope in the resurrection. We have hope for eternal life. So I want you to remember this as you come to the table. As you drink the cup, as you take of the bread, remember what he has done for us. And anticipate his coming again and hope in him. Hope in him in him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. It's only grace. You chose Mary because of grace. You chose me because of grace. You chose my brother because of grace. You chose every single one of us in here because of grace. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. I pray that we would reflect on that this Advent season, that we would prepare our hearts for your coming and not just your first coming, your second coming. I pray that we would live with celebration of what you've done for us, gratitude of what you've done for us, and anticipation of what you are going to do for us. We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you so much for this table. Pray that it refreshes us today. This I pray in Jesus' name.